Do you ever get really hype when you hear this sound? Hey fam, welcome to a new episode of LM2 Talks. As always, I'm your host, Larry. This week on the podcast, what I wanted to talk about, as you might have guessed from the title and from that sound effect, is Netflix and some of the other streaming services that are kind of popping up and taking over the way that we watch TV and interact with movies these days. And, you know, really for me, I was I've been thinking about this for a while in some of the different podcast episodes. I've been talking a little bit about Netflix, especially in regards to the cancellation of the Marvel shows that recently happened and the announcement of the Disney Plus streaming service and and what I kind of feel like that means for the future of streaming and the future of some of the content that we're going to be seeing coming out. And so really what I wanted to do today was to take some time and just kind of talk about my feelings on Netflix and some of those other streaming services, because I think we all have some different feelings about them. And, you know, really what I wanted to do was to kind of get into some of the good things that I see about those services and some of the things that I find somewhat questionable. Um, and so what I really wanted to start with was kind of that idea of of what I love about streaming and what I love about Netflix, especially. Um, and I think it's important to kind of think about, for me at least, where was my first kind of introduction to Netflix? So the first time that I really ever heard about Netflix or interacted with it was my senior year in college. One of my roommates had a Netflix uh, account. And so what we ended up doing is we would get uh, The Sopranos on DVD and we would get mail delivery Netflix back in the day when they would send you a DVD or a couple DVDs. You know, you would watch what you have and then you would send them back to get more DVDs. And so, you know, that was our first real introduction to it. And during that time, I also invested in an Xbox 360. And so streaming on Netflix had really just kind of been getting underway. There weren't a whole lot of titles that were available under it, but we decided to give it a try. And, you know, every now and then we would watch a couple of movies on there or, you know, whatever shows were available. Um, and it was it was a really kind of interesting time kind of getting into things. At the same time, I was also, you know, starting out with using Hulu. Uh, at the time, it was a free service and I was able to watch, you know, kind of the new episodes of stuff like The Office and 30 Rock because we didn't have cable in college. We were we were trying to save some money on that. And so, you know, we were always kind of looking for what is available to us and and to use those services to make sure that our entertainment needs were, were still met. And it was a really interesting time and it was a great time. And, and that's really what I when I kind of first started to fall in love with that idea of Netflix and Hulu and kind of these streaming services and just like the ease of access that they gave us to different pieces of media, whether they would be movies or TV shows. And uh, as time went on, their libraries increased and there's just so much more programming that we have access to. And so now, you know, I'm I, within my family. I'm the person who plays for, pays for our Netflix account. My sister plays pays for our Hulu. And, you know, we share these services so that we can kind of get the most out of them and get kind of the most uh, programming. And so, you know, for me, Netflix, the biggest thing 
is the originals. You know, I started to get really into what are their original movies, what are their original programs, and one of the things that I that I really love about their originals is, you know, in a sense, the democratization of you know these creative TV projects. So. You know, not everything is just what you see on TV. Different types of creators, different uh, styles of shows are getting made on these platforms. And, you know, we're seeing the rise of of the Netflix cooking shows. And so, you know, as someone who's who's very much a cable cutter, you know, I don't have cable, not able to watch Food Network, but I'm able to watch these Netflix cooking shows, some of which are really, really amazing. Um, you know, on top of that, there's, you know, there's starting to be some really great comedies on there, you know, stuff like Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which is, uh, I guess, has wrapped up its final season. I still need to go back and watch it or BoJack Horseman. You have these amazing uh, series that, that we're starting to see coming out, like uh, one that I'll, you know, maybe it's not quite amazing. I wouldn't go that far. But, you know, thinking about things like Umbrella Academy, these these interesting takes on the superhero genre. Um, in these kind of short form season formats, um, you have all sorts of different programming. You have movies, you know, they are, they're financing stuff like Roma, you know, which is an Academy award winning film, you know, and a spirit award winning film. And it's really kind of changed the way that we're thinking about a platform like, like Netflix, which for a lot of people for a while was, oh, this is the place where I go to watch Parks and Rec or The Office or, you know, any other shows that are completed. And, you know, either I just want to go back and watch them or I want to, you know, kind of fill in the episodes that I might have missed or, or anything like that. And so to see them really kind of jump into this arena of really producing their original content and giving these different creatives the opportunity to produce there, you know, just kind of looking at their strides again, you know, so outside of, of the cooking and comedy and, and action series that we see, we're also seeing a lot more creatives of color who are able to access that space and get projects greenlit that may not have been greenlit for, for traditional TV. Um, and so we're allowed to hear all of these other creative voices. And so, you know, with the success of Netflix, everybody else wants to get on that. So, you know, you see Hulu starting to develop a lot more of their own original content. And yes, a lot of this stuff has kind of started much earlier. Um, but, you know, you also have, you know, DC Universe. If you're if you're into DC Comics and all of that, there's now a streaming platform just for you. Disney Plus is going to have Star Wars and Marvel and all of that and all of your great Disney content that you want to see. Warner Brothers is getting into it. They're going to have their own. You know, I don't know what's going to be on there yet, but they are going to have their own thing. There's stuff like Crunchyroll and VRV for people that might be into anime or gaming. And there's content that's there for those types of niche audiences. And so I think that's something that's really interesting. You know, Netflix and Hulu might be these kind of super broad platforms where you might be able to get a ton of different types of content. But then you also have all these niche platforms that are also kind of giving people just what they want. So, you know, maybe you don't want all of the stuff that's on Netflix. You don't really care about it. You just want, you know, your DC stuff. You just want Superman and Batman and the Flash and all of that. You can get that on the DC streaming service. You just want Marvel. Go to the Disney Plus streaming service, whatever, whatever you want. There's a platform for you now. 
which might also technically be a little bit of a bad thing because exclusivity is the name of the game now. And so, you know, when we see stuff like Netflix canceling the Marvel shows, it's not just a matter of, oh, well, you know, I was really enjoying this show and it's going away. What it also makes you realize is that, oh, crap, there's a competing service now. If I want that type of programming, if I want it from those creators, I have to pay for another service. And, you know, at what point do we just end up kind of recreating, you know, our, our more, you know, what I'll call a traditional TV model where we're paying for all of these packages just to get all of the programming that we want. And we end up paying the same amount that we were for cable. It's just all on various streaming services that... You know, don't all launch from the same place. You know, we have to open up different apps to access them. There's not really a a kind of one stop shop to open that content directly from and browse and and kind of see what's out there. Um, and and what does that what does that do for our ability to kind of quickly access things the way that that we started to with Netflix and really really wanted to? Um, you know, so that's. That's one of the things that I started to see as an issue growing out of, you know, kind of that ability to gain access to all of these different things and, and watch programming from all of these different creators. The other thing is, like, there are some really subpar products out there. I mean, when you look at Netflix, like, sure, there are some big name shows there are some big name movies that are award winning and are fantastic. You know, even looking at Amazon Prime, like, I have not watched The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I probably never will. But knowing that that is out there and knowing that people really love it uh, and enjoy it and critics love it, you know, there is something out there for everybody on one of these streaming services. But at the same time, for every Miss Maisel or for every, you know, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt or Bojack Horseman, there is a steaming pile of crap that you've probably never heard of. And a lot of these streaming networks are saturated with that. And so while it's great to have a lot of different people being able to create content, it also starts to kind of create a nightmare where, all right, we have this glut of content that not all of it's good. Not all of it is worth watching. And, you know, in a sense, does that start to lead to more people having great ideas with subpar execution, getting them greenlit and getting them out there in front of people? And does that, in a way, start to diminish our ability to tell good quality programming from bad quality program just because maybe something got the marketing push from one of these services because they really want people to subscribe? We're going to tell everybody this is the most amazing thing. Everybody's going to watch it. And because of the way that we interact with, with Netflix and a lot of these things, because we have an entire series available at our fingertips on day one of launch... We watch the whole thing, you know, and in watching that whole thing, are we not able to necessarily think about the good qualities and bad qualities of it? You know, does it does it color our perception in a certain way where we start to think, well, I watched the whole thing. I was interested in it. It kept me on the edge of my seat or whatever. And it's great. Um, and then we never really kind of look back on it. And so. I guess in a sense, you know, it's and it's it's kind of a weird thing to think about, but does it prevent us from really being able to take the critical eye that we would to normal kind of week to week television series? You know, and I'm not saying that this is always the case because I think 
a lot of us can tell when something is good and when something is bad. But because so much of it is built around hype and advertising, I do wonder if it does start to dull our senses in that way and and really kind of prevent us from from seeing those things. And I think the other the other aspect of that is, you know, when we when we get down to it, because for a while I am one of those people that wasn't really using my Netflix account to its fullest. So, you know, obviously I said that I pay for it for my family. So I know my, my sister was making use of it. My mom makes use of it, but I was watching maybe one or two movies and one or two shows a year. And there's so much more content there, but oftentimes I felt like there wasn't anything that I wanted to watch. And so it, it really kind of left me thinking about that as well. You know, what do we what do we do with all of this product, even if it's not something that we necessarily want to engage with or choose to engage with? And in a sense, how can we trust these companies to put a greater kind of quality control filter on what's being put out there? And I know, you know, I know that might sound a little bit counterintuitive to the idea of giving more creators the opportunity to produce projects and make movies and make television, you know, all things that I want to see more of and want to see more of in different ways. But at the same time, does everybody deserve that opportunity? You know, if someone is putting out a a bad show or a bad movie, should should we be trusting these streaming services to to really kind of put these things out there and what does that do to you know the landscape is it is it flooded is it oversaturated with you know again subpar material and i know that's that's not something that that anybody any one person can really answer you know i i I think it's i think it's difficult for us to approach that idea because we all have different tastes at the same time. You know, there's plenty of shows on Netflix and in other places that I'll watch it and say, yeah, that was all right. Or that was interesting. And then I'll have a conversation with somebody and they'll say that they, they either loved it or they hated it. And, you know, there's no clear consensus on what a quality program is. And I think that gets back to like the whole idea of cancellations on Netflix. So one of the problems that I have with Netflix, especially, but this is true of many other streaming services, is they don't necessarily make their watch data available to the general public. And so because of that, we don't know how well a show really did. So something like the Marvel series on Netflix that were canceled, we're being told by Netflix or, you know, we were told we know that there's there's more to the story. We know that a lot of this probably has to do no, probably definitely has to do with Disney starting their own streaming service and having a stake in Hulu. Like Disney owns part of Hulu uh, with a few other companies. And so we know that they're kind of a direct competitor to Netflix. So why would you want to partner with one of your competitors and have their product on your channels so that they're making kind of content decisions on your platform and kind of taking some of your profit? Um, so that's that's one thing that that it really makes me wonder how viable long term a lot of this is, because, all right. If a lot of these content providers that we really like start to leave Netflix, so 
We won't be seeing the newest Disney movies on Netflix anymore. We won't be seeing, you know, new series from Disney on Netflix anymore. We'll have to get the Disney Plus streaming service if we want them. What does that do to Netflix? Is their original content strong enough to keep us there? You know, so they've had shows, you know, outside of the cancellation of some of these Marvel shows, they've had a number of shows that are either ending or have ended. You know, when you look at Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt or you look at Orange is the New Black, which is as far as I I believe is coming to an end um, or, you know, any number of like uh, was it friends from from college uh, I just heard was was canceled recently. What is what does that mean for us if we get into a network partially because of some of these shows and then we we start to see them get canceled? Do we stick with them? Do we jump ship and go someplace else hoping that the content that these other networks are going to provide us are what we need? You know, from a from a from a media diet kind of perspective or the things that we want to consume these like again like i know i'm not necessarily providing answers this episode because i realize that i have a lot of questions about it i have a lot of questions about the viability of it because you know while while i wasn't really watching netflix you know for a while there i was i was heavily into youtube i was watching a lot of creators on youtube i was watching vloggers i was watching let's players and things like that and as some of the people that I was following started to leave that platform, I found myself searching for other media. And so that took me from spending a lot of my time watching YouTube videos to spending a lot more time scouring Netflix for, for things to watch, you know, or, or are there series that I'm missing on Hulu um, that I can start to get into? And I think that's, that's the thing where it's, it's that positive of, Yes, streaming makes all of these things available to us. If the things that, you know, we want to see are ending, maybe we can find something new to fill that gap. But at the same time, if we never really fill that, fill that gap or we full-heartedly get into a show that might have a limited lifespan because we have no idea how many other people are watching it, what do we do? You know, what do we do when that media that we like... You know, that, that was one of the things that I always kind of worried about with with Netflix was at, there were certain points where there were series that I was watching on Netflix where maybe they hadn't secured the rights to all the episodes or there were some cases where maybe they started the a series and it just kind of ended after one season because it didn't quite get the viewership that they wanted or maybe it didn't translate to the number of subscriptions that they needed. Because I think that's that's the other thing with all of this that we often kind of forget. It's all, I mean, everything's about money, obviously. But for a lot of these platforms, it's about the number of subscribers that they're getting. And do the new programs that we're putting out there translate to subscribers? And I have to imagine in terms of their metrics, in terms of their analytics and what they're doing, they're looking at, all right, for our new subscribers, what are the first programs that they're watching? What are the things that have actually brought them to our platform and how do we kind of make that work for us? How, like, are there enough people that are coming on to our platform for this thing specifically? And I think that's, 
that again kind of brings me back to the whole Marvel cancellations thing because, all right, you know, season one of Daredevil might have done great. Jessica Jones season one might have done great. Luke Cage season one might have might have broken Netflix. But if the second season, if the third season in some cases doesn't hit those numbers, and that again, this isn't just true to Marvel. This could be true to any of their shows. If they don't hit those numbers, if they don't hit those marks, if they don't bring in those new subscribers, those shows are in peril. And for a platform where we're coming to see these different types of stories, to see different creators tackle um, different types of properties, that's a little bit dangerous. And that's a little bit scary because that means, you know, people can have great ideas, but it doesn't mean that they're going to last. And and that's true of anything. If these were on traditional TV, they would have the same issues. I mean, how many shows have we all watched where it got maybe, you know, that six episode, you know, mid season kind of push. They're trying it out to see if people watch it and like it. You watch it, you like it and it gets canceled or maybe it gets through a season or a season and a half. And you're like, this show is great. You know, you're shows like almost human and stuff like that, where you're like, Oh, I really love this. The, the characters have great chemistry. This world is really well realized and Oh, no one was watching. So it's gone. Netflix, Hulu, other streaming services don't solve this problem because this problem is, is amplified there because these platforms are really, you know, outside of advertising with the, you know, with, with stuff like Hulu, all of their revenue especially in the case of something like Netflix is based on how many people are subscribing. And if our, if our shows aren't bringing in those subscribers or if they stop bringing in those subscribers, if that excitement about those shows wanes, then we have a major problem. And I think that's, that's a weird commodification of entertainment that again, that's the way things always were. But there's that part of me that feels like that was what we were hoping this would solve in a lot of ways. And I know that's naive. I know that's not the way things work. But I don't want my favorite shows to go away just because they didn't bring in enough subscribers. Is there another metric that can be used? What are the other metrics that they're using? What are they counting? What, how are they making their decisions? And I know it's all it's all stakeholders, it's all money, but I want to be able to see those numbers. And I think in a lot of ways, like we deserve to see those numbers because it's a lot easier to make sense of my favorite show went away if no one was watching it. And I know no one was watching it. You know, I don't, we don't get a ratings report for the stuff that's on Netflix. We don't get real viewership data. We get extrapolations that people can make based on social media chatter. We get extrapolations based on anecdotal surveys that tell us what people are actually watching on those platforms. And I imagine a lot of that is pretty much true to the numbers that they're getting. But there's got to be a better way to present that information to the general public. And I know they don't want us to have it, but I want us to have it. I want us to be able to have as much access to this information as possible because it you know, and and this again, this may be the wrong way of thinking about it, but this is kind of how I think about it. If I'm coming to a show late, I don't want to jump on board and just find out two weeks later that it's done, that I'm never going to get any more of it. That's like that's heartbreaking. 
it's so so heartbreaking um so you know again i think that's just something that that i really kind of want to think about or want people to think about and and want to know more information on the other thing that i that i found myself thinking a lot about and this was my my poll question on social media this week was was really the idea behind how many people prefer getting shows all at once as opposed to episode per episode and i was a little bit surprised by this because and i and i shouldn't be i shouldn't be i know that netflix has really kind of changed the way that people interact with media but so many more people were really happy with getting a show all at once every single episode in a season all at once and part of that is because it allows them to have a little bit more control over when they watch it you don't have to wait if you are really into a story arc you can just watch the entire thing through but as someone who struggles with not binging shows which hey i have a podcast sometimes i need to watch a show quickly so that i can talk about it because that's what i do um you know or you know for for the people that are following me on social media like who are looking to me for reviews on things like this I need to watch those things and I need to watch them quickly and Netflix delivers them in a way that makes it really easy to do so. And I can give you a full kind of, all right, I've watched the entire thing. This is what the narrative does well. This is what it does poorly. This is, you know, from a visual standpoint, what works, so it doesn't work. I can do all of that very quickly with the way that Netflix is delivering me content. At the same time, at least for me, I worry about that a little bit because as I said before, I I somewhat worry if that blinds me to what what is actually being done well in a show or not. Am I watching every episode just because it is available and there to me? It's like junk food. Am I eating all the fries because they are in front of me or because I'm actually satisfied by these fries? I thought about this a lot when I was binging you know, stuff like the, the most recent season of the Punisher, which I didn't necessarily like, but I didn't stop watching it. I felt obligated to watch it because it was all right there in front of me. And you know, the little, are you still watching thing would pop up and I'm like, well, I'm still in front of the TV. So yeah, I'm still watching the play button, you know, play the next episode is always there. Skip the intro is there. So I just kept going. And you know, while I still gave the season the review that I probably would have given it anyway, I, I wonder with different shows, does that change how I'm kind of responding to them? Do I look at shows more favorably just because I've been able to watch the entire thing in quick succession rather than needing to take time and kind of digest each episode with a week's period of time in between where I really think about what happened last episode? What's potentially coming up? What things would I like to see done differently? What are the things that I think they're going to do with this season? How does this compare to last season? Because I think that's the other thing that kind of bothers me a little bit about the Netflix release cycle. And this came in especially hard with something like um, Voltron Legendary Defender on Netflix. The release schedule was so strange to me that I would watch, you know, the 10 episodes at a time or whatever it was, depending on the season that came out, I'd wait a few months and then more episodes would come out and I'd almost completely forget where the show was at. 
you know, same thing with stuff like Orange is the New Black. I'm so behind on that series because there was one season that I didn't watch. And then, you know, yeah, I could binge watch an entire season in a day or in a weekend, but I couldn't even remember what the last thing was happening, that the last thing that happened in it. You know, Stranger Things, like I keep thinking about that. And yes, they do things a little bit differently each season, but I'm sitting here and I'm trying to rack my brain to remember what actually happened last season. If you know what happened last season, could you shoot me a message? Because I really am struggling to remember what happened. And I think for me, that's a little bit of a problem that I have with kind of that Netflix model. Like, Yes, I like having a limited number of episodes. I personally think that shows should have like eight to 10 episodes per season. Part of the reason why I I had struggled with the Marvel Netflix shows because I feel like they were a little bit longer than that. And they either had too much content to fit in the 13 episodes or they didn't have enough content to fit in the 13 episodes. That's why I feel like eight to 10 episodes is a really great sweet spot. But if you watch 10 episodes or 12 episodes or whatever it ends up being, and then you wait an entire year or a year and a half, or in the case of some of the Marvel Netflix shows, you might be waiting two years between seasons. How much do you lose in that? You know, as opposed to something that's on a more traditional TV model, maybe it's 22 to 25 episodes, something like that. You watch them over the course of a year. You know, so you're watching some of those episodes in the fall, you're watching some of those episodes in the spring, and then you really just have the summer break. You know, so maybe you have three months between the end of the season, and the beginning of the next season, or, or four months. Does it make it a little bit easier to kind of jump back into that series after it's been away for a little while, as opposed to watching 10 episodes all in one day and then spending an entire year away from it and then coming back to it? You know, I, I think that's 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 one of the things that I, I worry about with these models. Like, and is there a better way to kind of put that out, put those episodes out there? Um, one of the things that I realized that I really liked about DC Universe, the DC streaming service, is just the fact that they release their episodes weekly. So uh, whether it was Titans that I was watching or whether it's Doom Patrol, which I'm currently watching, Every Friday morning at 6 a.m., I know that a new episode is going to be put on the platform. You know, yes, I can wait till the end of the season and I can stream a whole bunch of episodes if I really wanted to. But by kind of making it that ritualistic experience of I'm going to watch an episode today and I know I'm going to watch an episode next Friday and I can think about the episode that I just watched for half the week and then I can start speculating on what I think is going to come next based on the trailers and everything like that does that put me in a little bit better of a place to really appreciate what's going on with that show so again that's not something that I think everybody's going to approach that a little bit differently and everybody's going to have a different thought on that and you know I've, I've I have talked to some people that that talked about that being more you know a place of discipline where for them, you know, an entire season can be out, but they're able to kind of meet it out and, you know, watch just one episode a week or whatever. And and that's great. You know, I, I applaud anybody who has that type of restraint. I wish I had that type of restraint. Um, that's why in my resolutions episode, I talked about the idea of I want to binge less um, because, you know, again, like those fries, if they're out in front of me, I'm going to eat them all. Um 
So I'm I'm looking for in a lot of cases a way to consume less junk media and really be able to not just kind of binge it all, but really savor it and digest it and understand what I'm watching, understand the flow of the show, think about it over a longer period of time, and then assess it. The other thing that's been talked about a lot uh, in this this kind of new landscape, um, and for those of you who've been kind of following all of the Oscars and everything like that, uh, a little bit before the awards, um, Steven Spielberg was interviewed talking about Netflix and the idea that he really views Netflix as a television service. And he views films that are developed for Netflix as being TV movies. I, I mean, I couldn't, I cannot disagree with him more there. I mean, anybody who has seen Roma knows that Roma is not a TV movie. And his, his point was largely that things that were developed for Netflix, things that were developed for Hulu or developed for these streaming services that you watch on your TV should not be up for Academy Awards. And like I have part of the reason why I have such a big issue with that is one, I, I personally feel that that really diminishes the work that has gone into those projects. You know, and, you know, he kind of used the idea of, well, you know, sure, you know, again, we're going to use the Roma as the example here, like sure Roma, you know, was in a few token theaters, but it was really this streaming movie. And, you know, part of me was just thinking, well, not everybody, not everybody is Spielberg. You know, obviously Alfonso Cuaron is a celebrated director. He's one of the best that's ever done it. He's my favorite director. Um, but not everybody is Spielberg. Not everybody is going to have a chance to get everything that they do on the big screen. Not everybody is making movies the size of the films that he's making. I mean, like the last movie that he made before these comments was Ready Player One. And no matter how you feel about that movie, you know, I personally wasn't a big fan of it. No matter how you feel about that movie, there was no way a big sci-fi action, you know, dystopian future Steven Spielberg movie was not going to get a huge cinematic release, especially with the amount of CG and effects and everything going on in that film. There was no way that it wasn't going to get that kind of release. But Roma... A black and white film in Spanish set during, you know, 1970s Mexico with a, you know, with an indigenous woman in the lead who is, you know, not she's she's essentially she's a servant. How many how many theaters are going to you know clamor to get that in there? How many screens are going to be dedicated to that film? You know, and so I think there's a part of me that's like, you know, it's such a it's such a myopic way to approach cinema and think about cinema when you're like, it has to be in the theater and it has to be at this scale. And if you're not doing that, you're diminishing the craft and what you're doing is essentially making a TV movie, you know, and, and granted, yeah, stuff like Bird Box definitely a definitely a, a better than average tv movie i i will give him that on something like that 
But when you have real creative vision and real great directors who are making content there, why should their projects be looked at as any less just because they're on a streaming service? I mean, does that does that make sense to anybody? I think it's really unfair. And I, you know, the way that I've described it is for me, it really feels like an old man yelling at kids on his lawn, you know, just because the, 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 the thing is, you know, and the way that I, that I really have been thinking about this is, and, and I love movies. You all know, based on, you know, my episodes at first, I was basically just, you know, reviewing movies and that was what each episode was. I try to go to the movies as much as possible. You know, when uh, when I'm on a good week, I'm going to the movies two to three times a week. You know, during times like now, because there's not as much stuff coming out, maybe I get there once a week or, or you know, once every other week. But once March starts up and a lot more movies are coming out, I'm going to be in the theaters multiple times a week all over again. So I love movies. I love the experience of being in the theater. But not everybody does. Not everybody is going out to movie theaters. And so if less people, if there are less butts in seats in movie theaters, well, as an industry, don't we have to find a different way to make sure that we are getting high quality film entertainment in front of people? And if streaming services are our only way to do it, why wouldn't we take advantage of that? And why would we put any less effort into what we are producing for a streaming service than what we are doing for the big screen? You know, and again, like, just think about, like, the amount of garbage that comes out in movie theaters and how much better some of the stuff is that we are watching on Netflix. You know, again, Roma was better than... I mean, I think we can easily say 80 to 90% of the films that came out in theaters last year, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I didn't create an exhaustive list to bring with me to talk about on the podcast today, but I'm sure different people can find different projects that they have watched on Netflix or Hulu, you know, Hulu just, just right there. Like one of the things that comes to mind is documentary mind the gap, you know, I could be wrong. I don't remember it really getting a theatrical release. Is it any less of a documentary? You know, just because it lost to Free Solo, is it a worse documentary than that? Like, no, it, it really isn't. It is It is just as good, just as powerful, maybe more powerful for some people in a lot of ways because it is talking to ideas of masculinity and misogyny and and the failures of, of parenting and abuse and, and those cycles, maybe it's maybe it's more meaningful for a lot of people. But that's on Hulu. And, you know, according to Spielberg, I, sh- I shouldn't look at that as having as much worth as something that's only released in theaters. And I, I don't know. I, I struggle with that idea. I have a lot of problems with that idea. And I know there's going to be someone who's like, oh, well, you're really taking his words out of context. And, you know, maybe I am. Maybe I am a bit. But, you know, from what I read, that's what I took away from it. And, you know, I think that's something that we really need to kind of contend with. There are different ways to produce great films. There are different places to put those films. 
It doesn't all have to be in the theater. Sometimes it needs to be able to be accessible to people on the widest scale possible. Something like, again, something like Roma probably has many, 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 many more people watching it because it was on Netflix than it ever would have gotten in theaters. And because that's always been an issue with a lot of the, you know, what we'll, we'll call art house cinema, people feel like it's inaccessible because, you know, again, a lot of those projects weren't even in broad cinemas. You know, you're, you're lucky if you are able to find them for a week screening at, you know, your local art house. So, I mean, that's, I, I just really kind of want to challenge that idea that these projects are somehow lesser, you know, especially when we, we see a project like Martin Scorsese's The Irishman get announced during the Academy Awards. Like, that's mind boggling to me. Like someone as storied as Martin Scorsese and, and just look up this film, look up the cast and tell me that you don't think this project is worthy because it's on Netflix. It seems like it's going to have just as much care and love and artistry poured into it as anything else that he's done. And, and yes, yes, they, from what I understand, they are going to do an in-theater release and a, you know, on Netflix release. Like, and, and that's great. I mean, that's what you do. But I mean, that's how it, that's how it is. I mean, certain projects need a different distribution source. You know, Annihilation is another great example of this. So outside of the United States, Annihilation didn't get a theatrical release. Outside of the US, it was put directly onto Netflix. You know, think about that. For any of you that that really enjoyed that film, there's part of you that's like, well, I can't imagine having not, you know, a most of you probably didn't see it in theaters. Most of you probably watched it at home. So maybe I'm talking to the wrong audience here, but there are probably a lot of you that are wondering, well, I'm surprised that this wouldn't get released in theaters. Like it seems accessible, but there was worry about will audiences understand what's going on here? Is it too confusing? Is it not straightforward enough? And while you may disagree with that assertion, there are people in boardrooms that have made that decision and said, well, We'll give it a release in the U.S., but we we will just put it on Netflix everywhere else. So imagine if that movie wasn't released in theaters here. More people would have watched it on Netflix. It would have been accessible to more people. Generally, more people would have watched it. More people would probably have positive things to say about it in general, not just critics, but, you know, the public at large. And would that have been more beneficial for that film? Probably. So... I don't know. I just, I, I want people to really kind of think about that. Am I dismissing something just because of the platform on which it resides? Or am I really looking at the artistry behind it? Am I able to digest that artistry? Um, you know, and, and, and just kind of sit in that, sit in that and simmer. Let me know what you think about streaming services and Netflix, you know, how do you see things going? You know, do you think we're going to hit the saturation point where there's too many of these and there's too much exclusive content and you don't have enough money to go around and you're really just kind of going to start to tune out from these? Do we think they're financially viable? You know, because again, you know, Netflix is working on subscription model. If they're not doing a whole lot of, you know, ad revenue, 
does that prevent them from being able to turn the profit that they need to to keep producing the content that they are you know what about hulu you know um you know one of the things that i was just reading about earlier was a a huge huge lawsuit that fox was facing in regard to um uh, the Bones TV series and the way that profit sharing was done on that series uh, based on its performance and how that somewhat factors into uh, streaming viewership on things like Hulu and how Fox was supposed to make, you know, Fox gets a certain cut of speculative ad revenue. So how do those things also affect our ability to keep these platforms viable, keep them going and keep the content that we want to see on them? So definitely, you know, write in, hit me up on social media, email me, Larry at LM2Photo.com. I really, I really want to hear what you have to say about these kind of topics. What are the things that stand out to you about Netflix and the other streaming services? What are their shortcomings? What are the positives that you see? Um, What are your thoughts on the whole movie question? You know, is something lesser just because it's on Netflix or is it just a different platform to release that on that potentially has a broader audience? So for the main topic, I'm going to leave it here um, and we're going to get into some spoiler free reviews. So um, since we are talking about Netflix, the two spoiler free reviews, I might throw in a third uh, right now. Um, that I'm going to give you are for Umbrella Academy, Russian Doll, and I finally finished uh, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Um, so just kind of diving into Umbrella Academy, I thought it was an interesting show for me. Um, you know, maybe I was a little bit jaded because I had just come off of watching the first episode of Doom Patrol on the DC streaming service. And I really enjoyed kind of the weird take on superheroes that it had. I thought they were doing a lot of interesting things and it had a a pretty great meta commentary on the entire kind of, you know, superhero thing. This idea of these freaks coming together to try to make themselves better by, you know, kind of protecting the world, even though they're not ready for that and the world is not ready for them. And Umbrella Academy, in a lot of ways, is is somewhat similar, um, but it approaches things a little bit differently. And I and I remember when I first watched maybe the first episode and a half, I was really unsure of the show. On Facebook, I had actually posted, "Hey, does do people actually like the show?" Um, and a lot of people responded, "Like, yeah, I thought it was awesome. You know, watch the whole thing to, today." And for me, I took a lot longer to get into it. I found a lot of the characters really unlikable. I thought some of the action was great. Um, I thought some of the visual choices were were interesting. Um, but at the same time, like I wasn't, you know, completely invested in it. And I found myself kind of losing interest throughout. Uh, I did watch the whole thing and I felt like the conclusion of it was pretty interesting. Um Certain characters I liked better than others. Uh, Klaus, I thought, was really, really a a great character. Five, I thought, was a pretty great character. Um, But there were other folks in the show that I was just kind of like, I find them boring or I found them a little too tropey. Actually, a character that I really loved was was Hazel, um, who, if you've watched the show, you know who that is. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's a good, interesting show. It's a good kind of 
you know, non-Marvel, non-DC superhero universe that's being adapted here. And I thought they did a pretty good job of telling their story. I will be tuning in for the second season, um, but it's not something that once it drops, I feel like I'm going to need to rush out and watch right away. Um, just like I didn't rush out and watch this one right away. Um, but I, I feel like, you know, a couple of other positives that I will say, I think it did a really great, it used music really well, um, both in kind of setting tone, setting mood, um, and, and for action sequences. Um, I guess like the closest comparison that I would make is that I felt, um, you know, I felt that kind of Guardians of the Galaxy style vibe from it uh, in that regard. I also felt that it did a really good job of kind of looking at, you know, kind of that family drama and the, you know, kind of struggle between duty and, you know, kind of free will. Um, I thought those were kind of all interesting things that it touched on. So I thought that was really great. The other thing that I watched uh, recently was Russian Doll. And, you know, this is something that, you know, again, first couple of episodes, I was a little eh on it. Um, you know, I thought the premise was interesting, but like it didn't really catch me in those first two episodes. Luckily, episodes were really, they're pretty short, you know, 24 to 28 minutes is a really great length for an episode, especially when so many of the things that we're watching might be an hour long. Um, so being able to just kind of dive into this and, you know, really once I get got to the end of, I believe it was the third episode and they kind of introduced another character to uh, compliment Natasha Lyons character, it was really it really kind of helped open up the show to me and really, you know, make it clear what it was about. Uh, because when you really first start it, like you can, you can get an inkling of what it is, you know, because it's, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, it's kind of like a Groundhog's Day idea, this character or, or, you know, happy death day. Um, this character, you know, finds themselves in a loop where, you know, they'll go through a day or two, die, and then start where kind of the show began. Um, and so, you know, that happens for a couple of episodes. And then, you know, there's something that happens that turns it on its head. And I think that was the point for me where the show really took off. And it's a great exploration of, you know, mental health and our relationships with other people. And, Really, that's all I can say without ruining the show for other people. Um, I think that it might be a little difficult for some people to get into in those first couple of episodes, but stick with it. You know, if after that first hour and a half or two hours, you're still not enjoying it, there's only two hours left because uh, it's it's an eight episode series. And, you know, it, again, eight half hour episodes, I feel like is perfect. Um, what I would also say is it's a show that, you know, I don't think they're doing any sort of sequel. If they are stop, you shouldn't, um, it is a perfect kind of capsule. Um, and I realized that's something that I didn't talk about earlier. Um, but that's one of the things that I, I really enjoy when a show can tell a story, keep it concise and keep it contained to one season. 
Um, you know, I think that's what I really loved about the first season of True Detective. I haven't watched the third season yet, but, you know, being able to watch a single season and feel like I've watched a complete story and I don't need any more is something that I wish more shows would do. And I feel that Russian Doll accomplishes that very, very well. Um, I know some people might have a problem with the ending or might find it a little bit confusing, but I, I thought it was it was somewhat poetic in the way that it approached it and, and did a very good job. Uh, and so the other thing that I mentioned before is I finished up Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, uh, which is a Netflix food show. Um, you know, and it's... I, I just thought it was really beautifully done. Um, you know, for people that love cooking, love flavors, and want to have a better understanding of them, I feel that it is a show that does an amazing job of of kind of putting that all out there. I think oftentimes we're just kind of shown food, we're shown how to make food, or we're shown people eating food, but we don't necessarily always get a full understanding of that food. And this show just does such a beautiful job of helping you understand the things that you eat every day and why some of them are amazing and why some of them come up short. So I would really just implore you all to watch it again. It's four episodes. They're each, you know, 40 something, 50 something minutes, really easy to watch, beautifully shot, really interesting. It'll make you want to either make some amazing food or go out and get some amazing food. And the last thing that I'm going to leave you with is what I'm loving this week and what that is at the time of recording this, uh, just this morning, I believe I watched, um, well, just last night at the time of my recording, uh, they released a new trailer for Detective Pikachu. And for those of you who don't know, this is a movie where Ryan Reynolds, uh, Deadpool fame, um, or most recently of Deadpool fame. Uh, voices a Pikachu who is a detective. Pikachu is the Pokemon. I know, riveting, you're probably all like, why the hell are you talking about this? I don't know what it is about this. I grew up, I didn't own a Game Boy, but I grew up watching Pokemon. I had Pokemon cards, you know, borrowed a friend's Game Boy from time to time to play it when I finally was able well, when I was working at GameStop, finally able to buy my own Game Boy Advance, I went back and played a lot of the, the Pokemon games and really enjoyed them. And so to see kind of Pokemon in this CG live action crossover kind of thing, it's really interesting to me. Um, it's got that kind of who framed Roger Rabbit feeling, but with less tunes. Um and it just looks like a lot of fun. Like if you're not sure what I'm talking about, just go onto YouTube, look up Detective Pikachu trailer two. If you like Pokemon, you're going to be like, oh, this is pretty cool. Like I, I would have never expected them to make something like this. If you're not familiar with Pokemon, you're going to watch this and be like, this is weird. I don't know if I like it, but you know, maybe you'll find it funny and that's all I can ask for. But yeah, that's, that's what I'm loving this week. And that brings us to the end of another episode of LM2 Talks. Thank you for hanging in there. I thought this episode was going to be much shorter, but then I realized that I had a lot to say about Netflix after kind of stumbling through a bit there. Um, yeah, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening all the way through. Um, as always, hit me up on social media at LarryTron, pretty much anywhere where you can at tag somebody. Um, or email me, Larry at LM2photo.com. I want to hear what you have to say. 
As always, you can find the podcast on your favorite podcast provider. I'm on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen, I'm there. Be sure to leave a review. Let people know what you think about the podcast. It helps me tailor content to make sure that it's what you want to hear. It also helps other people find the podcast so that they can also listen and enjoy. Um, So drop me a line. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know what you like. I'll talk to you again next week, fam. Peace.